is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It truly is all about Jesus Christ. So we continue our second sermon in this series of It Is All About Jesus through the study of Colossians. So if you will turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 this morning, Colossians chapter 1. It's in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Some today might wonder if the Jesus in the scriptures, the Jesus that walked the dusty streets of Palestine has any relevance today. The Jesus without electricity, the Jesus that turned water into wine, the Jesus that if he lived today would see space stations and nuclear power and HD TV and sanctuaries with LED lighting and the list can go on and on. And if we're honest, some people ask, well, does that Jesus have impact today? We ask, well, do the rules of the Bible, do the commands in Scripture, do they hold true to today? Because I've heard people say, well, those are old, they're irrelevant. Well, we're going to look at that. A little boy in Sunday school one day asked his teacher, he said, Mr. Josh will call the teacher. He said, if Jesus were to come back today, would he know how to work a computer? Now, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know the answer that was given to that question. But sometimes we wonder that, don't we? Does the Jesus of the Bible that seems so long ago have relevance today in our lives? Because if he doesn't, let me be honest, I'm the first person to say then what we're doing has no impact. If the Jesus of the Bible has no relevance for today, then we are, this is a big puppet show. But I wouldn't stand here just to be showy, to be a hypocrite. The word hypocrite means to have a mask on. That's just not my personality. I am standing here because I believe God has relevance for today and for our lives. You see, the letter to the Colossians was written so that Christ would be supreme in their lives that they would know that what they were dealing with in their life that day, Jesus Christ had eternal impact. And so what you're dealing with in your life right now, Jesus Christ reigns in your life. So let's look at verse 15 of Colossians chapter one. It is all about Jesus, the supremacy of Christ. Verse 15, chapter one of Colossians He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created. Now, let's just back up there. What was created by Jesus? 
all things. Because sometimes as humans, we struggle with comprehension. So God's word often has a way of clarifying our struggles that are in heaven and on earth. And we say, well, what things are created? God's word wants you to know what is created. All things visible, all things invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, even during election years. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Let's pray. Father, truly you are the image of the invisible God. And though we stand here today, not wondering if you have impact in your life, but saying, Lord, you are supreme, you are creator, you are sustainer, and Lord, you have control of our lives. So Lord, change us and mold us in a way that we reflect the character and nature of Jesus. Lord, that we may not be content to sit and do church, to sit and put on a show as if what we do is anything. But Lord, may we only be content in knowing you and you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. First, we see this in our life, that Jesus Christ is supreme and he is superior. Look at verse 15. Jesus Christ is superior. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, this begs several questions in my mind as I've read the Bible over and over again this week and for most of my life, this should create a tension in our heart because how can Jesus be an image if something is invisible? Sometimes I believe we just gloss over God's word and we don't digest it. Think about that. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. How does that work? It would be like me giving you a photograph and saying, this is a picture of me and there's nothing on it. How can Jesus Christ be the image of the invisible God? Well, God is invisible, but he allows himself to be known wherever he wills to be known. He is revealed in his image. John 1.18 says this, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is the bosom of the father, he has declared him. So what we see in scripture is this. That if you want to see God, then who do you look to? Jesus Christ. If you want to see God, who do you look to? Jesus, because we live in a world that says, well, you can see God anywhere. And what does God's word say? God is invisible, but Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. The only way that he can be the image of God is if he is God. That's important. The only way Jesus can say he is the image of God if he is actually God. This word image is, in the Greek is icon. It's the same word used um, in the Roman army. We actually have histories, ancient Roman histories of a Roman soldier riding home to his father or mother, and he would write in this way. This is an actual note. Obviously not in Latin. This is in English. He would say, I sent you a little portrait, Iconion, of myself painted by Utuman, which would be a, an artist. 
So this Roman soldier would say, I've sent you an image, an icon of myself. Now, youth, this is, the, this is before selfies. He, he wasn't clicking and texting. And by the way, some of you adults, you're, you're far worse than any of our teenagers. You post more on Facebook than they ever could think about. We, my wife and I had a, a date night. So a couple from the church um, asked to watch our kids. And we said, absolutely. I said, we'll see you next year. Here you go. Um, and I don't know if she noticed, but we were at a restaurant in, in Birmingham and the lady to my right, her left, were, were taking uh, selfies. And uh, you know, it, it, it took her about five minutes to get the right angle. You know, when I take a selfie, I just want to get my head in the picture. I, I don't care. Um, that, that's, that's my icon. That's my image. But why do I give you that illustration? Because this image of the soldier is an exact representation of him that someone drew. So Jesus cannot say he is the image of God unless he is the exact representation of God. So I don't want us to be confused. Jesus is not saying he is merely a picture. Jesus is saying he is God. And you cannot see God unless you look to Jesus Christ. And how beautiful of a picture it is, though, if we see Jesus, that we know we see God. God sent you a picture, church, and his name is Jesus. God sent you a picture, and his name is Jesus. The second question we need to ask is this, then. How can Jesus be an icon, an image of God, if we are commanded in Scripture, the second commandment is not to make idols, images for ourselves. So we need, to, we need to work through that then. How can we worship an image of God if we're commanded not to worship images of God? I'm glad you asked. You see, in any image I create of God or any image you create of God is a faulty, poor quality and not worthy to be called an image. This is why God in Deuteronomy 5 says, you shall not make an image and worship it. Did you hear what the Lord says? Church, you should not make an image of God and worship it. Why? Because any image that we make of God is going to look like who? It's not going to look like the invisible God. It's going to look like the person who makes it. You see, any image I make of Jesus is going to look like me. That's why when you look at most artist renderings, especially through the centuries of Jesus Christ, a lot of the Jesuses you see in pictures are blonde hair and blue eyes. You know why that's the case? Because most often the person painting the picture had what? Blonde hair and blue eyes or light skinned, fair skinned. So why would someone drawing a picture of Christ make Jesus look more like themselves than what the actual Christ most likely looked like? because we are bad image makers. We're horrible image makers. And so why then do we often try to worship a Jesus that we have created? If, if God says you're not allowed to make an image of me because you're bad at it, and it would never look like me, then why do I worship a Jesus often that I create? Why do we worship a Jesus that we say, well, God is, he's just only love. He loves everyone. He loves you when you sin. He loves you when you're righteous. And actually he loves you so much, it doesn't even matter what you do. You just worship something and eventually you'll find a way to get to heaven. Oh, that is worshiping a God that you've created and that I've created. 
Because the Jesus of scripture says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The Jesus of the scripture says, Josh, you will give an account of the things that you do. The Jesus of the Bible says, Josh, if you die in your sin without confessing me as Lord, you die in eternity without me because my blood has not covered your sins and you'll be held accountable in your sin. Oh, that we would not worship a Jesus in our image. You are bad image makers. May we not make God in our image. In Greek thought, an image was not considered something distinct from the object it represented. As an image of God, Christ is the exact as well as a visible representation of God, illuminating God's essence. So I ask you, what Jesus are you worshiping today? Are you worshiping the Jesus that says he is the image of the invisible God? Are you worshiping the Jesus that looks a lot like you? Oh, that we would not fool ourselves thinking that we can create God. I think we also have to ask this question then. If Jesus is eternal and he is the image of God, look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. We've addressed that. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, I thought though Jesus was eternal. So how can Jesus be the firstborn of creation if he was eternal? Because in my understanding, everything that is born has a beginning. Are you following me there? So I want us to dig deep into scripture and, and not think in our minds that say, Lord, spirit, lead us. So how can Jesus be firstborn of a creation if he is eternal? Again, I am glad that you asked that question. Often we use the word firstborn to talk about the first person born in a family. We dedicated little Ava today and she is the first child born in her family. There is no doubt about that. She is the firstborn of the Johnson clan, but that, this is not saying that Jesus was born first. Rather, the word means that he is of first rank. He is of first rank. So really what the Colossians are saying is that not, Jesus is not born first. He is superior over all creation. Now that's a word we struggle with because if we're honest, we don't like anyone being superior over us because we are people that often struggle with authority. I can prove that to you. Lord willing, none of us are gonna drive over the speed limit when we go home today. But if you do, by the way, I would never do that. But if, but if, you, if you do, and you get a ticket, you're gonna find a reason why you are driving above the speed limit. But officer, I, I was going home, I was doing the Lord's work, I was here at church and, the, and the, the crop pot was about to burn the roast. I had to drive fast. But officer, the car in front of me was going fast. And so I was going, I remember there was one time I was going to a youth conference in a place in Louisiana I have never driven before. I was five miles from the exit on the interstate. I was going six over on the interstate. That's not bad, right? And so I, I go through this little town on the interstate. And when I crest the bridge, guess what I saw? There were three policemen lined up on the side of the road. They didn't even get out of the, they didn't even bother to follow me in their car. I had a police officer point to me from the interstate, from the shoulder. He said, you get over there. And I'm thinking, my first reaction was, Lord, how dare you let them pull me over? I'm doing your work. 
Lord, you tell me I drive under grace, not the law. Right? Some of you have used that. Galatians, all about grace and not law. But at the core of that argument, what is our struggle? At the core of the argument is, God, I don't want to obey that law. That law is not my superior. And the truth is, if I'm going one mile an hour over, I have broken the law and I deserve a ticket. And so God spoke to my heart that day. One, I didn't get out of it. Two, he spoke not only to my heart, but to my wallet. And three, I realized, Lord, it's okay to have a superior. And Lord, if my superior is Jesus Christ, how great is it to say, Lord, you are above me. You are the image of the invisible God. Lord, you are first over all creation. And Lord, you are definitely first over me. He is our superior. He has no equal in all of creation. So if Jesus is the image of the invisible, if he is first over all creation, then where does that leave us? It leaves us here. It not only tells us about Jesus Christ, it tells us a lot about ourselves. Because if Jesus is the image of God, he is what we were meant to be in terms of character because we are created in his image. If Jesus Christ is the image of God, then we are created to look like Jesus. And so who Jesus is, is what we should look like. And he has relevance for today. So not only is Jesus my superior and superior over all creation, he is your superior. And it might do you some good this morning just to say, Jesus, you are my superior. Because we struggle with that. We say, oh Lord, I have, I have made you Lord and Savior. Lord means boss, by the way. Lord means Jesus, you are superior. Lord means Father, you know how to raise my kids better than I do. Lord means, Father, I trust that you love my child more than I love them. Lord means, Father, I trust that you have better plans for me than I do. And Lord means, Father, when you set rules in my life, who am I to make excuses for you? He is our superior. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is your superior God. It is all about Jesus. Not only is he our superior, but he is our, look at verse 16. He is our creator. For by him, all things. For by him, what things? All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominion, principalities, powers, all things were created through him and for him. So who is created by Jesus? I am. Did you know that there are over 800,000 species of insects? Every single one was created by Jesus Christ. And I know this, and I had this conversation in the lobby. It was unprompted. But every time a sparrow falls from the sky, God knows because he created it. And how much more if he is our creator God, the one who loves us, cares about you and me when we struggle or when we celebrate. So if God cares about the mosquitoes, and that's still a question, a theological question I can't answer. I know there's a purpose. I just know I won't find out on this side of eternity. And by the way, moving to Alabama, we get a break from the mosquitoes. I feel like I haven't been bit all year. But if God cares about 800,000 species of insects, 
how much more does he care about your life today? Let that sink in. He is the creator of all things. And sometimes we just assume, well, God created the heavens and the earth, but we forget to say, God, you created me. As Jeremiah says, before I was knit together in my mother's womb, Lord, you knew me. And so if you're struggling here today, you can say, God, I give this to you because before I struggle with it, you know. And if you're here celebrating, if joy has been renewed to you this morning, before that joy came to you this morning, God said, I know it's coming. He is our creator, God. And you say, well, pastor, I know you say God is creator, but what about science? I'm glad you asked. You guys are on the top of it this morning. The New Scientist Review recently asked the biggest question. It, has, it had an article in a scientific review and it asked the biggest question science has ever asked. That's, that's the title of the article. The biggest questions ever asked by science. Here they are, you ready? What is reality? What is reality? Right, I think therefore I am type thing. Some people even ask, do I exist? I'm a practical person. Uh, and if I'm not talking, I'm, I'm here. Second question, what is life? What is life? Science is trying to understand what is life. Science is also trying to understand this question. What is free will and do we have free will? Don't worry, it gets better. Is the universe deterministic? Has everything been determined from a given point in time? What is consciousness? Science is also asking this question, will we ever have a theory of everything? So science is now grappling with this question of the string theory. It's a theory that all particles we see in nature are nothing but vibrations of tiny pieces of a superstring, almost like a strings on a violin. And I say, that's a great question. Because if everything is like strings on a violin, I know who's playing the violin. Science is now grappling with this question, what happens after you die? Science is asking this question, what happens or what comes after Homo sapiens? And as I was watching the football game yesterday, I said, man, those Alabama teams, I don't know if there's something after Homo sapiens, but they look like giants. Bless anyone that tries to tackle those boys. But I would say this, science is now asking questions that only a creator God can answer. Science is asking questions only a creator God can answer. We have this theory of a string theory that it all emanates from the same point. And I would say, good, we're getting close. So where does that point lead us to? His name is Jesus Christ. Because I see in God's word that for him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. We're just worried about the things we can see. But God says the things that you can't see, he made. That just blows my mind. Lord, there are things I can't see. Lord, the things I can't see, you can. Lord, the things I can't see that you can, you created. Lord, you are our creator, God. I was reading a story this week and we say, well, why does God as creator matter? Because if he doesn't matter, science can't answer all of our questions. There's a story that goes like this. There was a South American company that bought a printing press from Boston 
Now, of course, in South America, they speak Spanish, and so there's a, a little bit of a language barrier, and this was in the late 1800s. And they spent several hundred thousand dollars for this printing press in the 1800s. And when they received the printing press in South America, they could not get it to work. And so the first thing they did is they requested that, that the company that created this in Boston send a technician to South America. And so they sent this young guy and they sent a telegraph back to Boston saying, this young man is wet behind the ears. How dare you send him? And here's the response from Boston. It was a very short, terse response. The response was, he is the creator. He can fix it. They sent the man that created the machine to fix the machine. And I know this about our Savior. If Jesus Christ created everything and he created you, then he can fix it. He can fix me, right? How dare we say, God, is this who you sent? And God's response is, he created you. Josh, he can by all means fix you. That's why he died on the cross for our sins, to give us forgiveness that we would not have any other way. He is not only the maker of all, but he manages to take care of all that he has made, said Theodoret of Sire. Not only is Jesus creator, but he is my creator. I love that. He is not only creator, he is my creator. Jesus Christ is superior. He is my creator. Look at verse 16 again. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. And by the way, just a word of advice for election season. When someone calls your house and says, if you do not vote for this man, America, as you know, it's going to fall apart and the world's going to end. Read them this verse. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him. You're not going to scare me because I know the one who sustains us. We need to hear that today. Jesus Christ is not only our creator, but he is our goal. He is our goal. All things were created through him and for him. That's what that word through in Greek means. He is he is the goal of what we do. He's the goal of why we live. He is our purpose. So without Christ, I have no goal. Without a goal, I will not go and, and drive where I am headed. I heard a story this week about a man in our church. I was driving with him and he said he was in Colorado one day and it was, he was coming back from the base and it was late at night. And the next thing he knew, there were blue lights in the background. And it woke him up and he pulled up to the side of the road and the police officer stopped him and said, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? He said, sir, I have no clue. He said, you were going 90 miles an hour and you were swerving all over the road. And he said, I pulled you over because I thought you were asleep. And the man responded, I probably was. So the police officer said, here's what you're gonna do. He said, there's an exit five miles up the road. You get off of that exit, you get out, you fill your car with gas. See, you, then you get out, you go in the service station and you get a cup of coffee. And then you wake your family up and you make them go to the bathroom and you guys take a break. And thankfully they did that and they got to where they were going. But I was told one time that when we, when we get weary and when we grow tired, that we begin to swerve because when you're alert, you look far down the road. 
So you know where you're going because you can see down the street. But the, the more weary we get, guess what happens? Your eyes begin to get closer to your vehicle. So no, no longer are you looking down the street, you're looking at the hood of your car. And when you're looking at the hood of your car, you don't know where you're going, so you'll start to swerve. I remember my dad one time, I was learning how to drive. I was 16 going to our grandparents' house. It was a two and a half hour trip and we were on hour two and I thought I was doing really good. Uh, I set the cruise control to go somewhere near the, inner, the speed limit. And we were about 30 minutes from my grandmother's house and, I heard, and my dad this, did this to my leg. And I, the head, the top of my head hit the roof of the car. You know why he hit me? Because I had woken him up because I hit those little ridges on the side of the road. And he woke up and he slapped me as hard as he could on my leg. And I have not forgotten that even today because my focus had not gone, it had gone from what I should be looking at to now my situation, my car. If Jesus Christ is not our goal, we will begin to look at our lives and we will drift. And often in our lives, we struggle because we say, Lord, look what I'm going through. Lord, I'm sick, I'm worn, I'm tired. God, look at my car. God, look right in front of me. And God says, Josh, you put your eyes in the wrong place. Your eyes should be here in verse 16. All things are created through Jesus and for him. Josh, it's not about you. And there's sometimes we need to hear that. It's not about you. If you say, I follow Jesus, then who is your life now about? It's about Jesus Christ. It is not about us. He is our goal. So without Christ then, my life is irrational. My life is irrational. This is why Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who before the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If this is true and Jesus Christ is our goal, then we must live completely for him and any other course is completely irrational for the believer. And if we're honest, there are probably points in our life this week that we have lived in a way that is not about Jesus, it's about ourselves. What, what would the world say about that? What would your neighbor or your family say? We know that you say that you're a follower of Jesus, but your life, he is not your goal. The world will say that's irrational. That doesn't make sense. How can we claim to make Jesus Lord and to make him the goal of our life because all things I was created through him and for him and us not live for Jesus Christ? Remember church, he is the goal. He is not only the goal, he is my goal. May we make him our goal in our lives. He is superior. He is the first over creation. He is our creator God. He is the goal of our life. And lastly, look at verse 17. He is before all things and in him all things consist. All things consist. The tense here of the Greek means that he continues now to hold all things together. So some have said that God is the great watchmaker, that he created everything and as a watchmaker creates a watch, he winds it up and he sits it down and lets it tick. That is not the God that we worship. God didn't create and then say, it, and then say good luck. Have at it. 
God created us, and then what does Colossians say? In Jesus Christ, not only did he create all things, but what does he do for us? He, we consist. He holds us together. He sustains us. That is the God that we serve. Jesus Christ today sustains you. He lifts you up. He holds us in his hands. In Hebrews, it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's how powerful our God is. He doesn't uphold you just by his hand. His word can hold you up. Have you ever had that experience in your life where you might have struggled? Or maybe you were having a good day and someone came to you and gave you one word and encouraged you and changed your day. And that one word upheld you the rest of the day. If you've never had that experience, let me say this. Go encourage someone today. Lift them up. That's what God's word wants in our life. But how much more so does Jesus Christ lift us up by the power of his word? If Christ sustains the universe, then how much more can he sustain you and I? Did you know the word sustain is the same root of the word sustenance? And what is sustenance? Sustenance is something that we eat that gives us a source of strength. And I believe there are times that we miss out on Jesus, the sustainer, because we eat the wrong things. Now, we don't have this problem a lot in the South because we love our sweets and our breads. But there are times as believers, we forget to feast on the right things. Listen to what Jesus says about sustenance. Matthew 4, 3. Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the desert. He was hungry. Because temptations are not temptations unless they're tempting. The tempter comes to Jesus and he said, verse 3 of Matthew 4, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. He's really saying, Jesus, if you are a sustainer, why don't you sustain yourself today? Why don't you sustain yourself and Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If that is how Jesus feasted, how much more so should we feast on the word of God? If he is our sustainer, are we eating the right things? And you say, well, pastor, I listen to praise music on the, the drive to work. That's not the word of God. Well, pastor, I pray before meals. I'm glad you do. But if we are not feasting on the word of God, we are anemic, we are hungry, we have starved ourselves. He is our sustainer. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. The disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray like other teachers. And Jesus says, this is how you should pray, people. Give us today our daily bread. Why didn't Jesus say water? Why didn't Jesus say, give us today meat? Or something else, wine? Why did Jesus say, give us today our daily bread? Because Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. He is our sustainer. So I ask you, are you being sustained by Jesus Christ? Is he your sustainer? If you try to be sustained spiritually only by this church, you will leave here hungry, starving, and never pursuing Christ as your goal and your creator. 
This church is not the answer for your life. You say, well, I'm gonna go find another one. You won't find a church that sustains you because only Christ can do that. Because why in verse 18, he is the head of the church. If you lose your head, you've lost life. Are you being sustained by Jesus Christ? One last story, it's a kind of gross story. I'm gonna ruin your lunch, I'm sorry. My brother one day, I was already in college, but the story just touched my heart. I couldn't forget to, to tell it. Um, one day, my brother and my dad were cooking hot dogs, I guess, for lunch. And there were two hot dog buns, two containers of hot dog buns. One was brand new and one was older. And we just kind of, we didn't grow up without, but we just kind of grew up trying to be um, not, wa- not wasting things. And so if there's mold on bread, I still today, I'll just pull off the mold and eat the bread. Some of you are grossed up. That's just kind of how I am. So the pack of buns that were older had a little mold on it. And that's probably good for your stomach. So my dad told my brother, he said, just pull the mold off and eat it. And so of course, like he always did, my brother was eating his hot dog and about halfway through, he felt something crawl on his hand. Now, I'm not going to name the insect, but halfway through the hot dog, the insect that was living in the hot dog bun had attached itself to his hands. And he doesn't know to this day if that insect had friends. In my mind, I would say that was the only one he didn't. He was a renegade. But there's a picture of someone eating the wrong bread and not being nourished from it. And let me tell you this, if you are not careful, if you've been getting your Jesus from any church alone or any pastor you listen to or podcast, if you're getting your Jesus by anything else other than God's word, you are eating moldy bread and you will starve yourself to death. Jesus Christ is our sustainer. In him, all things consist. It means all things are held together. And so if you are here today and you believe in Jesus, but you've kind of gone a separate way, you say, I'm gonna do it on my own. Read verse 18. If you separated yourself from from the church, you said, I don't need the body of Christ. You are a person walking around without a head. And without your head, there is no life. But maybe you're here today and you just have tried to live your life on your own. And you say, I just, things aren't coming together. There's a reason for that because you are not letting Jesus sustain you. Get the nasty bread out of your hand and feast on the bread that is the bread of life. He is our sustainer. And not only is he our sustainer, if you let him, he is your sustainer. And God's word reminds us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for you. And you know why I love that verse? I say it almost every Sunday because there was a point in my life where I knew I had sinned and I knew that if I had died in my sin, that I was gonna die and live in eternity away from Jesus Christ, not because he is a vengeful God, but because he is God and my sin has to be judged in righteousness. Because there was a time in my life where I was living a life that was not sustained by Jesus Christ and God hit my heart and said, Pastor, I wasn't a pastor then, but he said, Josh, what are you doing? You've been playing church for far too long. 
And I said, but Lord, I, I know memory verses. I know Bible verses. And he said, but yes, but you don't know the God of those verses. You go to church and you sing those beautiful songs, but you don't know who you're singing to. You go to that youth group or you go to that life group and you shout hallelujah, but you don't really know who you're shouting it to. Without Christ, we are but empty vessels. Can you say today that he is my sustainer? If you cannot, he offers you the free gift of salvation. I shared Christ with a man in the hospital room this week. Brad was with me. We went to visit a lady, and when we went to visit this lady, her boyfriend was in the room. We said, that's strange. We never met this man. And before we left, we just looked at that man and said, we want you to know that Jesus offers you the free gift of salvation. And you know his response? His response was, I want that right now. I kind of looked at Brad and Brad and said, what did he say? And he said, if, if Jesus offers me salvation, I want that and I need it and I want it now. And we prayed with him. I said, I'm not gonna lead you in any prayer because I can't save you. And I said, there's no prayer I can pray that can save you. And I said, I'm gonna pray over you. And I said, why don't you do business with the Lord right now? And one of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard was a prayer of repentance. He got down on his knees and he said, Lord, I have fallen. I need help. And Jesus Christ is the answer. He said, Lord, I know that all things exist in you. And Father, I've been trying to do it on my own. And today is the day I make it right. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been playing church. And today is the day that you need to accept the gift of salvation. Because without that, we do not have eternal life and we do not have life more abundant. What are you waiting for? He loves you. He sent his son for you. He, son, is he, the image of the invisible God. He is first over all creation. For by him and through him, all things were created. And oh, by all means, all things exist. The supremacy of Jesus Christ he is supreme, he is creator, he is the goal, and he is our sustainer. So pastor, what does that look like then? That means Jesus must be first in our families. That means Jesus must be first in our marriages and in our professions, in our workplace. He must be first and supreme in our mission and our ministry. He must be first in our intellect he must be first in our time. He must be first in the way that we love others. He must be first in our conversations and in the things that we listen to. He must be first in our pleasures and in our hobbies. Jesus Christ must be first in what we eat. He must be first in the things that we play and in our athletics. Jesus Christ must be first in what we watch. He must be first in the passion that we have for art he must be first in our music. He must be first in our worship. And yes, he must be supreme in our lives. Can you say today that Jesus Christ is supreme? He is my creator. He is my sustainer. And he is my savior. Let's pray. Father.